that story stuck in my mind. So, you know, if I find a good outlet, I really want to try to tell that story so people can know, you know, all the, co the collective strategy that went into him not knowing that the network was trying to surprise him on national television. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast, where we talk about the business of media, technology, personalities, branding, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe. What's happening? So we are here on the Friday at the in the middle of, well, the early part of February, a snowy Friday in the Northeast, right before Super Bowl. A Super Bowl certainly like no other. And I think, you know, I guess if we put together the collective times that we've spent to, uh, separately around Super Bowl week in various cities, it would go back a few decades. But I don't know anybody other than our uh, esteemed faculty, Bill Squires and Chris Lincheski, who are actually in the city of Tampa yeah. this week. Well, Joe, what struck me was the picture you shared on Twitter the other day of Radio Row. Right. The before and after was was kind of stunning, actually. Yeah. And um, it's interesting to, to see how all these different media companies are handling uh, the reality of, of 20 Super Bowl 2021, which is most people, most executives, most producers not physically being there. So I know that's something we're going to talk about today. But I know you personally, as someone who is uh, a real gadfly around Radio Row, through the years, uh, you must be missing being down there. I, I, I miss, and it's funny, we've talked about this in class and, and on the podcast before, the randomness of running into people. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, I'll give you a really pertinent running into with somebody I just mentioned, Chris Lincheski, because last year in Miami, and it was probably, uh, you know, it was this week, whenever it was, Chris happened to be walking through Radio Row with some of his Windstar business and they do a tremendous amount of business in China. And I saw him and we were just catching up for a couple of minutes. And he turned to me, and goes, man, there's this virus thing in China right now. We're pulling all our people wow. out of China. Wow. It's going to be a big deal. And people here aren't paying attention to it. Yeah. Wow. So that day, it's funny. Um, not really funny, but Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes did a story last week when he talked about on the day last Sunday when 60 Minutes was on, there were six positive tests of COVID in the United States. Wow. We're now obviously in the millions and it's disrupted plenty of things. So we hope for all the people who listen to us, just put a damn mask on and, and help us out. Absolutely. So. And, and if you want any more um, reason to do that, or if you're looking for at least one more reason, check out the uh, newly launched edition of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Yep. It, did you see the segment? Yeah, with the, the long athletes. haulers, the, the, athletes the athletes who are long haulers and the after effects of COVID. It, it was just extremely alarming and very depressing uh, to, 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 to see how some of these young athletes in the prime of their lives that, that in, in incredibly incredible shape just being very fit their lives have been essentially ruined and there's no answer in sight it's really disturbing watching that segment so on that happy note yeah on that happy note let's move on um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about innovation in the past year from a broadcast media relations standpoint, from a talent standpoint, um, with a guest who I've known for a long time, and I'd love him to run through his career and the things that he the things that he has overcome personally to get to where he is now, and some of the places that he's touched. Uh, we've been friends now. He he said like 
15 years. I actually think it's more like over 20, but who knows? I lose track of time. But um, <laughs> we first met actually through a, and you talk about the randomness of running into people. We had a mutual friend and a gentleman named Kevin Davis. Uh, Kevin was Venus and Serena Williams' lawyer. And I met Kevin when I worked at the USTA and the WTA. And he said, there's this guy, Vernon, who wants to come. I think you were working at the Seahawks at the time. But there's this guy, Vernon, who wants to come to the US Open. Could you get him tickets? And we randomly met. I think I got him crappy tickets. But he got in the building. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. So Vernon Cheek, VP of Media Relations at Fox Sports, welcome to the Cusp Show. Glad to be here, Joe. Hey, you have a you have a great memory, and I do remember those seats. And they they weren't the best. They were awful. But guess what? I was glad to be in the building for sure, because all, all all seats face the field, so or the court, as they say. So it, it was great. It was a good experience. So Vernon, run us through your your quickly, you know, kind of the 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 elevator pitch of your career, which has touched on sports, entertainment, working for teams, working with athletes, working on the cause side. Uh, and then, you know, obviously we want to circle back to how your business and the business of Fox has pivoted in a virtual environment in the last year and changed. Well, quickly, you know, I have over 20 years experience in sports and entertainment, uh, having worked for the NFL, four teams, uh, Chicago Bears, Seattle Seahawks, uh, New Orleans Saints, and my last team was the Indianapolis Colts, uh, to which I was there for eight seasons. Uh, culminating uh, in two Super Bowl appearances. Uh, you guys heard me speak about uh, Ted Cruz, the Kansas City Chiefs, and what he's experiencing this week, talked to him this week, and Nelson Louise, who I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, uh, and pretty much throughout the season, because we televised uh, a few of the Buccaneers games, as you guys probably well know. Uh, but Four NFL teams, uh, two networks. I worked for CBS for seven years on the entertainment side. Uh, I don't know what show they didn't have me on, but I was on a lot of their popular shows, most notably Criminal Minds, uh, CSI, uh, Rules of Engagement. Really gave me a wealth of experience uh, working at the Emmys and the Grammys. Uh, and just, you know, really fond memories there, you know, working with some of the actors and producers and directors and studio people here in Los Angeles. And then I transitioned back into sports, but a totally different role uh, for me being here currently at Fox. Uh, I'm currently in my fourth season here and uh, just blessed. You know, I am, uh, as Joe said, I'm the current uh, VP Media Relations on the West Coast. Uh, we have offices here in Los Angeles, Charlotte, and New York, and uh, we collectively work on a plethora of sports properties that we broadcast uh, that I am always trying to cultivate uh, PR campaigns for that either spotlight our brand, our talent, or our production uh, in a way that we try to, you know, just bring more viewership to our properties and our programming. So, just been blessed and uh, like I said, glad to be here today and expand upon uh, some of the things I've been working on since I've been at Fox. Well, Vernon, you said it was a 20 year career. That sounds like a 50 year career based on the number of experiences you just mentioned. Yeah, you know, it's been quite a few, you know, uh, working in the NFL, you know, I, I, you know, I take you guys back, you know, I'm a graduate of Grambling State University originally from uh, Chesapeake, Virginia. So, 
even growing up, I didn't have professional sporting teams uh, in that region. Uh, the closest team I had was the Washington Redskins, and I actually grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And I knew I always wanted to work in sports, uh, but I didn't really know how, you know, I would get there. And uh, going to Grambling, which is a smaller school, you know, I tried to take advantage of my resources as all college students, you know, do. And uh, I was lucky and fortunate enough to get some internships while I was in college. Back then, uh, and to my surprise now, but back then, internships were paid for. So I was very, very fortunate. Uh, I interned for a Gannett-owned newspaper in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, I interned for the NBA League office and the PR department, working with the great Brian McIntyre back then. Uh, and then the New York Times Magazine group. Uh, in fact, uh, that internship I chose over a full-time position. Uh, I was offered, I forget the PR agency name, but I came out of college in 91 and they offered me a PR position uh, with an agency in Miami, which on the surface sounded great, you know, to go back and forth from the Bahamas and uh, work on tennis accounts because I played tennis in college. And I chose the New York Times Magazine group because really still am a big fan of New York City and wanted to be there. And I felt like that would give me a good foundation to start my career. And lo and behold, it did. And I'm glad I made that decision. Uh, but definitely a lot of different experiences I've been blessed to be a part of. Each of my NFL teams was a different role. Uh, see, the Chicago Bears was marketing. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, I was director of community relations. Uh, Seattle Seahawks, I was director of publications. And uh, Indianapolis Coast, I was straight uh, PR, uh, being the number two there for eight years, uh, working with all of these now seemingly, well, not seemingly, all of these Hall of Famers, including Peyton Manning, I believe, will be a Hall of Famer this year. Uh, but Bill Polian, Tony Dungy, Marvin Harrison, they're already in. Uh, Edwin James, can't forget about Edge, and uh, really hoping for a few others either to make it to the Hall. but. Uh, but like I said, Tom, just really, really blessed and uh, whatever experiences I can share with individuals who either want to get into the business or do other things, I always ask the general question and I ask you guys, do you believe it's who you know that can get you your first job, second job, or 20th job? That's the question for you. <laughs> We don't know anybody, so it couldn't help you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's all about, you know, and we've talked about this before, but it's, it's all about the relationships that you have and, and how you carry yourself and how people remember you. I mean, that's, I literally got a call this week from someone I haven't heard from in 20 years saying, we're, we're thinking about working on a new property. Would you like to work, work with us on it? And hadn't thought of him, but he, he'd stayed in touch and the beauty of social media and using LinkedIn you know, you can keep yourself relevant and up to date like never before. And, you know, you do a good job of that. But I think, you know, that's kind of the cardinal rule for anybody who's looking, you know, either relocating or figuring out, you know, what their first job is going to be at this point, I would think. Yeah, but, you know, I have to tell you, I'm sorry, Tom, what were you about to speak? No, I was just going to reinforce that point that this is a, this is a topic that comes up a lot in our world at Columbia and in this program and, and in our industry in New York. So Joe and I are involved in a group in New York called NY. BC Sports, New York Venture Community Sports. And uh, while the content is really good, there's no question that the best uh, 
part of that whole endeavor, which has been around for what, Joe, uh, eight or nine years, oh, eight or nine years is so. the networking opportunity. And we did an event, a virtual event a few weeks ago where our, our, the media analyst, Rich Greenfield, made a, a comment that Joe echoed a few minutes ago, uh, or one of you, I can't remember who said it, but um, the, the serendipity is what's missing right now with this opportunity to meet people. So if you guys were at the Super Bowl right now, in addition to seeing each other, uh, you might run into somebody, Vernon, that, that you wanted Joe to meet and boom, there's a new contact for Joe. Um, uh, and you, uh, you, Joe might be with a client that should meet you. That's how the game is played. And we all understand that. And it's been uh, interesting to see how we've all had to uh, pivot a little bit to handle that in a virtual environment, which I know we're gonna talk about for your job now but it doesn't stop you, you can't just not do it that's that's the point i was going to make no i i totally agree tom and you know i tell you you know it took me a decade i don't know if joe knows this but it took me a decade to realize that it's not who you know but who knows you you know if no one knows you you know your chances they really really dwindle to try to navigate or at least in, in just getting into the sports industry in, in itself, in my humble opinion. And my first Super Bowl was 1995. I'll never forget it. It was uh, New England and Green Bay and the New Orleans Superdome. I was currently at that time, I was a sports information director at Grambling State because I had left the Bears and went back to Grambling, uh, accepted the job. Eddie Robinson, the legendary football coach, asked me to come back and run the PR department. And which I gleefully did. And uh, I wanted to work the Super Bowl. I was speaking to Greg Aiello and Joe Brown, mm -hmm. uh, the legendary PR guys, the league office at the time. They were working on a release that they asked me to kind of fact check on Eddie Robinson because he won his 400 victory. And long story short, my athletic director didn't believe that I needed to work that Super Bowl. He said, no, Vernon, you have uh, basketball game this weekend, have a baseball game this weekend, you know, you don't have time to work the Super Bowl. And long story short, you know, I, you know, truth be told, I took a sick day on that Friday. <laughs> I drove all the way down to New Orleans. I worked all day. There was a guy named Gary Wright, who he eventually became my boss. The Seahawks, right? Yeah, yeah. So I met, because Greg Aiello said, Vernon, just go down. I knew he had already called Gary, but he said, just go down and introduce yourself to Gary Wright. You know, he'll show you what to do. I went down there. I worked all day. I drove back that night. Worked the doubleheader uh, baseball game, the doubleheader basketball game, and I was ready to ride back down to work my first Super Bowl Sunday. And Eddie Robinson called me and said, "Hey, could you come over because there's this kid we want to get in Arkansas, this quarterback, and we really want you uh, to help us, you know, with some press material." I said, "Oh," I said, well, "No problem, Coach. I'll be there." I may have left Coach's house, if I remember, maybe around 8 p.m. Uh, was so tired, you know, I actually pulled over on the, on the highway to get back down to New Orleans because they had a hotel room for me. Maybe got four hours sleep and worked all day Super Bowl Sunday, and I was back in office Monday morning. But I was not going to miss that Super Bowl. And uh, it was, as a matter of fact, when the game ended, I, I remember Bill Parcells yelling at us because, you know, we were in the Packers locker room, I mean, uh, the New England Pages locker room. And he said, you guys get out of the way. I need to speak to the team. So we all ran to the shower and they spoke to the team. And we came out and you know, did our voice recordings you know, for our quotes. But 
I'll never forget that because that's, I really wanted that experience and it probably led to where I am today. Cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the personalities that you've worked with and how you've been able to either get them to do things or convince them to do things. But let's, let's talk about today. So last March, obviously all this happens. You've worked on a myriad of properties over the years, UFC, done some other things. Um, how did your, how does your day-to-day change as to where we are now in terms of some of the great stories that have been done with regard to where this would have been a year ago? Walk us through like the three or four things that have really kind of changed over, you know, the, the course of the time during the pandemic. Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, like everyone else, Zoom is paramount now. <laughs> um, you know, this past season, well, first of all, I really can't believe when I look back on this past year, I told our staff last March, okay, and this was just before the pandemic because I was working on XFL and I said, you know, uh, my goal for NFL is to have 20 stories, okay? And I know some of our younger staffers looked at me like I had six heads, okay? Uh, well, I said, I want 20 stories for NFL. Let's see what happens. It's just for giggles, okay? I made my goal, by the way, but I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy. Uh, uh, what changed for me most notably this year was really trying to connect the dots on helping writers uh, with different schedules, knowing that for our pregame shows, which I'm primarily assigned for at Fox, they had to, you know, hunt down, well, not, that might be a strong word, but they had to try to get athletes, you know, to do interviews and coaches, et cetera, okay? And so I felt like I became, you know, even more of a checkbox on their list. Okay, well, I need to get uh, Aaron Rodgers to do a Zoom call, but I need to do a Zoom call for Vernon because he needs this for the Chicago Tribune, what have you, okay? And so that became challenging for me as a PR practitioner, just making sure that, you know, what I need to get done, uh, would get done in, in accordance to their schedules, okay? Uh, because everything could have easily been blended together, if you will. Uh, and it was really a challenge, it really was. Also, another challenge was, and that was part of staying in contact with my talent and producers, I never set foot on the stages of Fox this whole football season. Uh, so having that constant communication with producers, knowing schedules, you know, knowing and, and schedules change. Uh, and then of course, dealing with protocols, you know, uh, there were some instances I can say now that with the deal with COVID, you know, with our, with our studio shows that affected, you know, interviews we wanted to get done, et cetera. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it all worked out. Uh, really was able to spotlight the shows like I wanted, either spotlighting our brand, talent, our production, or a combination of the three. And uh, it really, it was challenging at times, uh, but really, really fruitful in the end, because as Joe would tell you, you know, I felt I really got some good stories out of this year, introducing people to like Stephanie Medina, who uh, a lot of people didn't know, or a lot of people know in the industry, but outside the industry, she directs Fox NFL Sunday. Uh, uh, Courtney Stockmile, another young lady who directs Fox NFL Kickoff. There were stories done on them. Uh, Joe Reedy with the Associated Press did a great story 
on Fox in the very kickoff how the show navigated with COVID, you know, in a, in a COVID environment. So I was really, really proud to have, lend, my, lend a role to getting those stories done, especially what we had to deal with with COVID and all the protocols this season. Uh, and don't, don't forget Kirk Manafri, who I found out when I read the stories, actually going to grad school at Northwestern, correct? Yeah, you know, I found that out, you know, on broadcast television. I didn't know. And uh, and then I called Kurt and I said, Kurt, that's a great story. He said, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to juggle this schedule. And, you know, and we really placed a huge emphasis this season on taking care of our affiliates and O&Os, primarily because a lot of times uh, they kind of get lost in the shuffle because you have so many requests from national media so, you know, we really wanted to try to make sure we took care of them. We took care of uh, our Fox business and Fox news programming, you know, by having more consistent uh, appearances uh, by the Terry Bradshaws and Howie Lons and Kirk Menefees of the world. And so, yeah, it definitely, we had some good stories to tell. Uh, what's another story that comes to mind? Um, oh, Jimmy Johnson. This was a really cool story. Whereas uh, last uh, playoffs of last season, was season, season before last now, I guess I have to say, I was actually in Green Bay for that playoff game. And I had a rider with me from Esquire and we both witnessed from the truck, uh, the coordination of Jimmy Johnson, not knowing that he was going to the hall of fame. And mm -hmm. so that story stuck in my mind. So, you know, if I find a good outlet, I really want to try to tell that story so people can know, you know, all the, co the collective uh, uh, strategy that went into him not knowing that the network was trying to surprise him on national television. And Calvin Watkins of the Dallas Morning News wrote a fantastic story. Uh, we had some great art to accompany that. Uh, we was able to get Dave Baker to participate in the story. So he lent his, his, uh, his voice to the story as well. But again, you know, those are the type of things that, you know, I want to try going into the season, want to try to tell uh, to the people who follow our shows. So it's not just a regular, you know, the show is coming on Sunday. Well, you know, it's coming on Sunday, but give us a bit more intel or insight into the people who, you allow you in your living rooms and know a bit more, bit more about them and what they're trying to accomplish in their lives. So really felt it went well. Vern, I imagine through the years with all your experience with the teams, the broadcast experiences, you've run across some, some pretty big egos. And I'm sure Joe <laughs> has too, work having some of the jobs he's had. How did, how did you, and I'll, and I'll extend this to Joe too, how, how do you handle the big egos when you want to get something done that you see as, as being very sensible and logical for your job to accomplish what you need to do when you run it, when you run across someone who might be a little, a little too, too, you know what I mean? Big for his britches. You know what I mean? <laughs> you want to go first or you want me to go? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is you treat people as people. I mean, you have to try and sometimes it gets difficult to do, um, but you try and figure out how you can acquiesce. Uh, I am not a yes person. So I, I kind of try to deal with people straight on. Um, but you find things by listening to them also that they want to do. And then it becomes kind of a little bit of a trading game too. I mean, that, that's a big part of it is knowing the personalities that you're dealing with. Very rarely will you find people, well, I could think of a couple of examples, but 
who have such a big ego that they don't understand what it is you're trying to do, but it, it becomes a relationship and the trust, you know, when we had Kevin Sullivan on, he talked about the role of the trusted advisor, the, the trust that you have, that you're not going to put in someone in a position to fail or just check the box, I think is really important. Vernon? Well, you know, I'll add to that, Joe, with me, it starts with equity, uh, primarily because, you know, if you don't have equity with someone, you know, forget about, you know, what you're asking them to do, you know, if they don't feel they know you or you can have a conversation with them. And this is way, way, way above and beyond. Hey, so-and-so, can you do this? Or so-and-so has requested for you to do this. You know, I try to really get to know individuals you know, I take you back, I try to, I take you back to a Peyton Manning, for example, okay? You know, Peyton is a very structured person and we will have conversations. I say, well, Peyton, what can I do that will make, you know, these situations better for you, okay? You know, above and beyond, you know, if I don't know the person, don't worry about the two cents and what I want to do the interview. Uh, but above and beyond that, you know, what can I do so I can make these situations or scenarios easier and so we go and we get in and out of them quickly because Peyton, he really gets it. You know, he understood that, hey, I need to do production meetings. I need to talk to the local beat writers. I know there are national guys who will come around, you know, from time to time who we want to just knock out and make sure they are accommodated. Uh, but the bottom line is that served as my foundation with the entire team, because if the entire team see their quarterback doing those interviews, then they can at least do their part and do their small percentage. And I kind of try to exercise that same type of thought process with a Terry Bradshaw versus a Harry Long or a Harry Long versus a Carissa Thompson or Carissa Thompson versus Christina Pink. Because I send stories that I've done to Joe, but I do the same thing for talent. So, and there's more of a challenge this year, but a lot of times what I would do is if it was a story done on Courtney Stockmile, who directs the show, then everybody on the show got that story. So that way, when they came in, you know, we as a PR group had a presence on that Sunday. Hey, look at what, look at the story about Courtney, you know, in the athletic. Wow. You know, oh yeah, so-and-so connected her with this, et cetera. So that really helped me a lot knowing that I have equity with people and we can have a conversation and understand, you know, what they like, what they dislike, but more importantly, how much we can get done. Who's was the most entertaining, colorful individual you've done a story on? Wow. You're talking sports and entertainment. <laughs> well, you can, any, any, you both, one of each, one of each. Oh, man. Um, Wow, Tom, that's a that's a loaded question, man. Um, um, we want to put you on the spot. That's the that's yeah, our goal. You are okay. Uh, colorful and entertaining. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I will say this: um, working with actors. You know, the first thing I learned is how can I say this? Working with actors. Okay, a lot of times. The, I feel actors and athletes can be layered, okay? All right? That's the best way to describe it. And I'm not saying that they're phony. I'm not saying that, all right? I am saying, though, a lot of times I would go up to an actor and it could be a, a dramatic scene or a funny scene, right? And unbeknownst to me, 
there, there would be a period where they have to come down and be themselves, okay? And so a, a friend of mine told me, hey, when you're working on the set, you know, this is a fellow publicist at CBS, you know, this, he, he came on set with me one time. Uh, his name is Mitch Graham. He came on set with me one time and he noticed how as soon as this scene was over with, I ran into the actor and I said, hey, can you, we got this going on, what do you think, right? And he said, he put me to the side, said, Brendan, you know what? You should always give them some space, you know, when they first come off because they're in the zone, when they're in the zone with just them and their characters, okay? And I kind of learned that and I, and I really, uh, unbeknownst to me, I must have applied that to sports because if you think about it, when the athletes come off the field, there was a time when they had microphones right in their face. Hey, tell me about that dramatic moment. And then they, you know, they could be very emotional, you know. And then I, re I don't remember the year, but then the NFL and all the sports leagues instituted like a cool down period, okay? So athletes can kind of come down from that heroic or the opposite of moment and kind of collect themselves, you know? And so, but to answer your question, in sports, I would probably say Marvin Harrison, all right, who I think uh, was surprised a lot of people, you know, he came across as being very stoic, uh, systematic on the field. Uh, and this goes back to the equity uh, situation I, moment, I mentioned a moment ago, because Marvin and I, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of time to spend, spend I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him. I remember we did, there used to be uh, a segment called the Field Sims All Iron Team. And we went back to Marvin's hometown of Philadelphia, uh, Northside, which is pretty rough. Uh, but unbeknownst to us, uh, Marvin had purchased a, a large majority of that town, okay? He purchased like a car wash, a local restaurant, and it really gave us a different side of Marvin, you know, how he was trying to get back to his home community. And Marvin, you know, he, you know, he he can really, really be a cool guy, you know, when you're talking to him and just getting background information, you know, just being in his space, you know. On the entertainment side, I would definitely probably say Shamar Moore. You know, Shamar, um, when I worked with him on Criminal Minds and SWAT, you know, I launched the show SWAT that he's on right now. Uh, you know, very engaging personality, very colorful. Uh, jokester, if you will, and uh, someone else who comes to mind too that really surprised me was Ted Danson, uh, mm -hmm. working with Ted on uh, CSI Cyber and uh, CSI. Uh, you know, I mean, look, we've all seen him on Cheers, whether it's, you know, for us younger folks on the call, maybe a rerun or two, but when you saw it on new episodes, you know, he, he's like that in real life too, in my opinion, you know? I mean, he's good for making a quick joke. And uh, and so those three pretty much come to mind if that helps and answer your question. Sure. So. Then I gotta, I gotta extend this to Joe, because uh, you've, you've worked with all kinds of folks in the sports world, especially, and even on Broadway. So Joe, what do you got for that answer? I would say on the acting side, I mean, because he's a very good friend of mine is Dan Loria. Um, who people know from ah. the years and a lot of different things. And we worked together on two Broadway shows, three Broadway shows uh, and a bunch of other things by far, you know, a magnanimous guy. And one of those guys who knows everybody um, on the athlete side. Um, 
I would say, you know, and it's funny, there's a lot of them, but I would say Jerry Stackhouse, who we drafted uh, when I was in Philadelphia. And we've had a relationship over the years where, you know, the first thing we do now is talk about kids, you know, and he's now the head coach at Vanderbilt. So ironically, um, a friend of mine, Meredith Geisler, texted me yesterday. When I was at the Sixers, we did these notepads when we were trying to get Jerry to be rookie of the year. And it was called Stick With Stacks. So they were stickies that you'd put up on the wall and they had things. And she's like, you know, I lost my last piece of Stick With Stack notepads and I needed for an example, do you have any extra? And sure enough, downstairs in my basement, I had four four uh, stacks of Stick With Stack notepads. So he would, Jerry would definitely be on the list. The other thing I'll say is, and Vernon, I know you're very close to a lot of them are the coaches. Uh, and I've been privileged enough to work with everybody, especially with the Knicks, because we rotated coaches every year. But, um, you know, Larry Brown, Lenny Wilkins, Jeff Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, you, you know, you kind of go down the list from, and I knew a lot of them when they were assistant coaches. So Tom Thibodeau, uh, Maurice Cheeks, those are the type of the things I think, especially when you see how they work as teachers. And that's what I knew Dan Laurie as, as a teacher when he played Vince Lombardi. Um, those are the ones that I think are, are even more interesting and remain friends. So guys, yeah. does, does, the coach, does the coach set the tone in terms of the PR attitude of the team? So I, I'm, I'm thinking, Vernon, of some of your jobs in the NFL, um, <laughs> like for example, you had Indianapolis where Peyton Manning is a, is a well-known schmoozer and like seems like a great guy, very funny and all that. But what if you're doing that job for the New England Patriots and you got a guy like Belichick setting the tone? So how great important point. is the coach in determining the vibe in the locker room and, and the willingness of the players to participate? Well, you know, I, I want to tell you right now, uh, uh, the coach that comes in mind to me and it might surprise you uh, is Mike Holmgren. Uh, Mike Holmgren played a very integral part uh, to an aspect of my career that a lot of people don't really know about and not just specifically myself, uh, but these individuals within the P, uh, PR NFL ranks they're called advanced persons, okay? And uh, and notice I didn't say advanced guys because we may have some women who do it that I'm not, I may not be aware of. But back in the day, I was the advanced man for the Seattle Seahawks. And what that entailed was leaving out for a typical away game. I would leave on a Wednesday. And, I, and my duties didn't change, you know, as far as working on publications or stats or the record book or the media guy, you name it, right? or press releases, uh, but I would fly out to the opposing team city and it was my job to coordinate travel, uh, almost like a, a, a traveling secretary for baseball, if you will, okay? Uh, but team travel, security, hotel, meals, tickets, a whole gauntlet of things, right? And we used to call Mike, show, uh, Mike home in the big show, okay? And so my instructions were, when the team buses arrived, okay, no matter how many elevators, and I should know this, and I should know all the hotels in the, in the hotel, I'm sorry, all of the elevators in the hotel, I'm sorry, uh, in and out, et cetera, right? But no matter what, when Holmgren came off the bus and he would purposely stay on the bus a little, you know, just a couple minutes long and then let the first few guys go up to your rooms. But when he came into the hotel, you had to make sure that he was the only one on the, whole, on, on, on the elevator, just myself and him. And we would go up, we would check the room, he'll make sure you know the room was adequate, et cetera, okay? In fact, um, I don't know if you probably would kill me for this, but 
but I'm going to say it anyway. Back then, he needed to have a separate room next to him that was empty. And for like the first few trips, I'm like, why does he have to have an empty room? I don't understand this, right? So, and Mike is a very towering presence, okay? I think he's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, maybe, big guy, right? And I said, Coach, if you don't mind me asking, why do you need to have an extra room that's vacant? And he looks at me right dead in my eye. He said, it's a sound barrier. I can't stand there have someone next to me, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, get ready for the game the night before. I said, ah, I never, I never knew that, okay? But the bottom line is when I left Seattle, I went to New Orleans and I went to the Colts. Uh, Bill Polian, who brought me there, uh, unbeknownst to me, he has spoken to Mike Holmgren. And my, he asked Mike Holmgren, hey, how was Vernon as an advanced guy? And I literally wanted to be out of that role. I said, you know what? I just want to be straight PR. Now, worry about the advancing. And unbeknownst to me at the time, Mike told Bill, he said, Vernon was the best advancement I ever had. So I had that same job for my next year, all my years in Indianapolis because of Mike, right? Uh, but it was fun. You know, it gave me a few more stories to tell. But the bottom line is, uh, I think about Mike and how he set the tone because you know, when he got off the bus, hey, it became a business trip. You know, you, you wouldn't worried about, you know, signing autographs. When he's off the bus, now we're going to the hotel. This is our hotel. There's a time and place for that. Let's get ready for the game. Um, but, yeah, he's number one on my list, dealing with him. Um, I would probably say Tony Dungy was probably the polar opposite, but Tony was very systematic as well, uh, maybe unbeknownst to a lot of people. Uh, you know, again, it goes with equity. When I came to Indianapolis, you know, we talked a lot. I remember one year that was very challenging. I think this was a 2005 season uh, when his son James committed suicide. And I was on a, uh, we, we play, I said we played the Seahawks. I was in Seattle and he, get, he gave me a call and made me aware of that. And I had to advance a funeral, which was, you know, very, um, you know, and I'm not trying to put this on a down note, but the point I'm making is, is that because of that system that I already had, there was a lot of similarities to making sure things were coordinated because it was in the middle of the season. We had players that flew down to Tampa that went to the funeral, getting them in and out of the city, dealing with interviews, et cetera, meals, you know. And uh, so those two coaches I think about a lot as far as working with and just uh, setting the tone for the team. Hey, hey Joe, over to NBA, where, where your experience was uh, was so interesting. You think of a team like the Spurs and Popovich, and then you think of some of the key players uh, during their dynasty, so Tim Duncan and Kawhi. No one was exactly an effusive speaker when it came to interviews. They were all reserved in a way. And I part of that is personality, but Popovich was legendary and still is for being a difficult interview. Interesting, but difficult. Yeah. Um, he, uh, so did, did the, to, but I want to get back to that question. So did the players kind of react to that? Like, did they police themselves to kind of act more like him? You know what I mean? The, the, it's funny, Larry Brown, in a different way, used the expression all the time, the fish stinks at the head. Right. So if things go wrong, they go wrong at the top and then it kind of migrates down. The coach and, and the general manager, even more than the ownership group, I think, set the tone for what the locker room is going to do. They all look to him or her 
to figure out what they're going to do. And every once in a while, you get outliers who want to kind of go their own way. But, you know, it, it begins and ends with them. And if they have, if you have a good relationship with the coach and the general manager, and you have an understanding, everybody's got a job to do. And they can either make it easier or harder. And as long as you have an understanding of this is the way we do things, it works out very well. Consistency is the most important thing in sports. And, and when, when that tone is set down from the top and I look at what Tom Thibodeau is doing in New York and I worked with Tom in both New York and Philadelphia, um, you know, the agenda is set from the top. It goes through the locker room. It, he picks his winners in the locker room that the people who he knows can deliver his messages that he may not be able to do. Assistant coaches do the same thing and it permeates from there. And that's how you build a winning culture, not just in sports, but in business, I think. It's the same thing. Yeah. So Vernon, through the years, the earlier years of your career, sports media and PR was really driven primarily from the top down by the leagues, the teams, the broadcasters. And, and, you, and that's where you started your career, the sports information directors, et cetera. But then because of the democratization of content creation uh, and user-generated content, it became more dispersed in terms of the stories that could come out of any given team or league or broadcast and players even got access and a voice. So I'm thinking back to the infamous story of Antonio Brown. Uh, I don't know if it was uh, Instagramming or tweeting from the locker room. So, so the opposite from my impression of Mike Tomlin and what the Philadelphia, excuse me, the Pittsburgh Steelers organization was all about, always being a little bit more conservative. How, how did, when, when that became more of a, a force to be reckoned with, how did you deal with that in your jobs? Or am I overestimating its challenge? Yeah, I think the social thing is great. And that's probably how we should kind of get to our last two questions. But how has that social environment, even for announcers, changed over the years for you? Well, you know, guys, in my humble opinion, uh, I look at you know, whether it's working here at Fox and the number of people I interact with or the number of people I interacted with different teams or, or even the TV shows. And in my mind, everyone is an individual brand. I mean, things have changed now. Uh, you know, you know, talent sometimes can be interchangeable. You know, you look at talent resumes or even look at my resume. I've been in different places. I've been here, been there. A lot of times it's rare to have one talent at one network or one entity for the entirety of his or her career, okay? And so they, in my humble opinion, they feel they are brands. And a lot of times when I'm working with talent, you know, I think about, okay, uh, it's not necessarily 50-50, but I'm not going in being naive and thinking that, well, hey, they're gonna only do this for the company they work for, okay? Uh, a, light, a good example I can give you is Michael Strahan, all right? Uh, Michael Strahan, when I'm dealing with him, you know, or if, if I have something for him that I ask him to do, a lot of times I'm thinking in my mind, it needs to check the box, okay? It needs to check the box that he is multifaceted. It needs to check the box that he works with multiple networks, not necessarily just with Fox, okay? I mean, if he's doing like an appearance, I may say, hey, can you introduce him as, you know, uh, Fox uh, analyst Michael Strahan, depending on, you know, the situation, okay? Uh, but even in that situation, I'm, I might not be doing him justice because maybe ABC would say, hey, can you make sure that he's is just an analyst, okay? Uh, so what I think about in that regard is 
I just always keep in mind that you know the, it, all, everyone has their own brand that they have to that they have to adhere to or whatever their rules are. They're their own brand. And I just feel like I'm just pushing that brand along, but we are getting as much as we can out of that brand as well, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I hope I, I hope that answers your question, but that's what I think about when I'm dealing with, you know, the different talent I deal with now and in the past. But I mean, go ahead, Tom. Just a quick follow-up. So so in the in the case of specific teams, particularly when you're working on the team levels, both of you guys have, mm-hmm. where you where you have an outlier of a player and I'll just go back to the Brown example in Pittsburgh, where he's doing things that are clearly inconsistent with what the organization's trying to do. And in fact, I assume actually maybe technically breaking rules. Uh, That's still an issue in sports, as you guys know, with certain players in certain environments. Um, Is there a way to rein that in or, or should it be kind of exploited? Because you could argue that it just gets you more publicity when the players do some of these crazy things? Well, you know, I feel like it's easier from a team perspective, uh, quite honestly, Tom, because your first line of defense, if you will, is one, you represent the team or you represent your position or you represent the city, you know, all of which are very proud and should be proud just to be associated with Pittsburgh Steelers, whomever the team is, okay? And so so with football, you're not going to win with just one person, okay? And so the bottom line is, it's gonna always have a domino effect with the other members of the team, whether it's a coach, someone in administration, et cetera, everyone's talking about that one incident, you know? And so if I had to guess, that's in that line of thought was taken with Antonio uh, at that partic- for that particular moment, okay? Uh, I know that a lot of guys are using TikTok now, et cetera, but, is within the confines of their own time, or maybe it's warm-ups, et cetera, and then it stops, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's my initial thought on that, is that think about who you represent and how that affects those who work with you. And that's how I would have handled that. And I think the only other, other point to add to that is one of the big things that we had at, especially at the garden, and you try to do all the time in business is no surprises. So if you know that someone has a publicist or is doing something off on the side and they're alerting you to it, at least you can be prepared for whatever that secondary piece is going to be. The worst thing you have is not having a good relationship with whoever the other person is, and it kind of goes off the reservation. That's the worst thing because then everybody has a bad day on both sides and there's bad feelings. So if you can be upfront about things, but it all comes down to the relationships Mm -hmm. with whoever the people are that are kind of pulling the strings that's, that's kind of the best way to deal with, you know, the ancillary nonsense that sometimes happens. So, and Tom, I, and, Tom, I, and Tom, I got to tell you quickly, you know, uh, and you can hold me to this. If you see someone, you know, whom I've worked with, uh, a Peyton Manning or Tony Dungy or Day One Stat, you know, you name it, and you mention my name, you say, hey, do you know Vernon Cheek? And if you get any kind of hesitation, I got to tell you, I will be embarrassed. You know, I'll tell the whole world because I feel like as PR practitioners, you know, you spend a lot of time garnering that equity with individuals. Okay. You do the, I mean, obviously you work with a lot of people, you do the best you can. I'm not going to say if you go to the entire squad for Super Bowl 41 and say, Hey, did you, did you remember Vernon Cheeky? You know, I'm not saying that. 
But, you know, but there obviously were guys who were more noteworthy on those teams that we had to facilitate interviews for. And you would hope that they remember who you are and your efforts. And if they don't, you know, then that's food for thought for me moving forward that I need to do a better job. Hey, um, Tom, you want to give us our last two as we live before we let Vernon go? The two questions we always ask. Yeah, so Vernon, we ask everybody um, two important questions. The first is, how do you stay smart? What kinds of things do you read? What podcast do you listen to? Who do you follow on Twitter that's helping you out? How do you keep up with everything? Oof, boy. Other than, other than following Joe, which is usually <laughs> everybody's first answer. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't miss that newsletter on Sundays, just so you know. Ooh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I don't miss that. I don't miss that. Uh, no, I, I got to tell you guys, to be honest with you, you know, I, I changed with the season seemingly, you know, I mean, I was, do you guys know Brian Custer? No. Okay, no, Brian Custer, he's a, a announcer with sport, uh, well, Showtime, he does boxing. And just so you know, NFL is ended for me, so now I'm on the boxing, so now I'm listening to the Brian Custer podcast. Uh, he's going to have Emmanuel Holyfield. This is not a plug, by the way, but he's gonna have, <laughs> tune in. <laughs> I, I, I'll get to my point. I'll get to my point. But uh, he's going to have Emmanuel Holyfield on, on the show on Tuesday. And the reason why I'm saying that is because there's a big fight coming up, supposedly between Emmanuel Holyfield and Mike Tyson, all right, that I wish we could broadcast, all right? Uh, but I say that because depending on the sport that I'm working on, I'm trying to read as much about that sport and listen to as many podcasts as I can, okay? Uh, whether it's a competitor, whether it's with our own FS1 studio content, you know, uh, I'm missing some of my shows now, but they're on DVR, so no worries. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, I don't want someone to ask me a question, you know, in, a, in an executive meeting, and I'm like, I didn't hear about that, you know, or, you know I want to be able to, participate in conversations with current events. So there's just a plethora of things that I read, you know, whether it's, I still read Sports Illustrated, grew up on SI, uh, Newsweek. I mean, I'm all over the place, you know, and nowadays, you know, I have to get in my news programming, you know, I have to get in my, you know, CNN, my MSNBC, you know, a little bit of Hannity from time to time. I'm all over the place, you all know, right. so. It's a good yeah. Hey, Joe, did you catch that Vernon didn't reveal where that Tyson Holyfield fight's going to be broadcast? Yeah, it's uh, uh, and you know the answer, I believe. Uh, I do, I think I do know the answer, but we'll, we'll, we'll that's for another day. If it happens, well, I, belie I believe it's uh, Triller, it may, it, it may well be, but I don't think it, I know for a fact it is not well, signed. Oh, so, so Vernon, do you know that answer? Is it is it Triller? You know, all I believe. And uh, all I believe- <laughs> Here is comes that, the official Fox answer. No, 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 no. I just believe it's gonna be on pay-per-view. That's all I got, so. Oh, okay. All hey, I well, got. Well, yeah. well played, Vernon, well played yeah. on that answer. Nice. Hey, um, <laughs> so our last question, and you've touched on this before um, a little bit, but just kind of crystallizing before we let you go. What advice do you give to people either changing jobs, starting in a job market, and you've gone, you know, you've pivoted sports entertainment back to sports. You know, what are some of the things that you tell people when they come to you for advice? Well, one, I remind them, uh, might be a shock to you. It took me seven years to graduate from college, seven. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me say that one more time, seven. <laughs> and uh, so it's not uh, how you start, but where you're going. All right. Uh, two, 
Uh, I had 164 rejection letters when I came out of college, 164 to which I still have today. In fact, uh, I was emailing, uh, you remember this name, Joe, Joe Brown. Yeah, didn't, didn't you tweet one of them the other day or you put something on Twitter, one of those pictures of your rejection letters? Uh, no, no, not recently, no, but I have done that before though, yes. And, uh, but, uh, but I was emailing with Joe Brown the other day. He said, look at you now, Vernon Cheek. And I said, yeah, look at me now, but I have forgot where I come from or where I've been. Uh, but most importantly, I always say, you know, hey, you got to take chances, you know, because the bottom line is, you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So work LinkedIn, you know, go back to your colleges, use every resource imaginable, because if you don't, you know, you'll never know. And, you know, I know a lot of people who I came to the ranks with, they kind of settled and then all of a sudden, well, I, I do have this job, but I'm not happy. And the bottom line is, you know, I mean, look, that's why they call it work. You know, no job is a thousand percent rosy. Okay. But I'm comfortable in saying that what I currently do and what I've done is what I've always wanted to do. And to me, that's a blessing. So if, if it's what you want to do, then you got to go for it. And you just got to take chances and get in front of people. I mean, the great thing about LinkedIn, someone told me a long time ago is, or email, is you can email Phil Knight if you want to, you know, doesn't mean you're going to get back, but at least you had the opportunity. Well, back in the day, I had to write a letter, wait by the mailbox, and I get these generic letters to whom it may concern. Uh, we have your resume, we're keeping on fire. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe I got this again, all right? I mean, it's a different playing field now. You have the opportunity to really reach out to people with, you know, with, with all these different resources that you have, So, but you have to use them. You have to use them. Great answer. Cool. Hey, um, Vernon, where can people find you on Twitter? And, and if they want to learn more about what you're doing with Fox Sports. Uh, so my Twitter handle is at Cheek V, just my last name, first initial. And hey, I mean, I mean, I'm at Fox Sports, you know, I'm working on boxing now, bowling, uh, just got finished with NFL, a little bit of Australian rules football, uh, did I say surfing? So whatever they throw at me, you know, I'm trying to work on it and trying to promote. Uh, but the bottom line is I'm always around. Uh, you can't, if you can't catch me, catch Joe, cause Joe knows everyone. And, uh, and I'll get back to you for sure. Cool. This has That's been great. great. Yeah. Thank you, Vernon. That was really a great conversation and congrats on all the success you've had. It's a great story. Well, thank you for having me guys. I remember when Marcellus Wiley was on this, was on this podcast. So will he really enjoyed this. Now I got, I get to tell him, Hey, I was a guest too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, it's funny, you've juggled a lot of things in your career. We went through this whole thing, Tom, and we never really talked. He mentioned Hannity at one point. We never really got to Fox news, which is probably a good thing. So we're going to kind of leave it on that note. Yes. Yeah. Let's <laughs> stick, so stick to our knitting as they say. Yeah. So uh, Vernon Cheek, Vice President of Media Relations at Fox Sports. Thanks for joining us on The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito from my co-host Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the road.